started a sermon series last week. The title of the sermon series is Chameleon. Chameleon. For those of you who don't know what a chameleon is, a chameleon is it's an animal, reptile, who has the ability to change its color pattern to reflect the environment it finds itself. Chameleon. You may have seen one. The uh, advertisement for the video for this uh, sermon series has a picture of one, and it changes the color of its color pattern of its of its uh, pattern when it's in dangerous situations um, or when it's trying to get something to eat to, for survival um, and for mating. For mating purposes, is also able to change its color pattern. And so with that in mind, we thought that there are probably some people within the body of Christ who have chameleon-like qualities. Instead of being the influencer, they are influenced. Instead of being the leader, they, they blend in. And I came to tell you that God didn't intend for us to be chameleons. God did not intend for us to blend in, but in fact, he specifically wanted us to stand out. And so these sermons that we're trying to lift for you are designed to help us understand that he wants us to be different. I know being different is hard, but in order to be effective, different, is necessary. Last week we talked about renewing your mind. Once you become a believer, the natural growth process is for you to renew your mind. Change your way of thinking. Do things differently than you have before. That's difficult because most people, once they become believers, stay in the same physical environment they were always in. They still got the same job, same family, same everything. And so just changing your mind under those circumstances becomes very, very difficult. And yet a transformation of your mind is essential to being a believer. How many of you know the wonderful, exhilarating feeling of being chosen to do something. Raise your hand. Yeah. There was some type of activity that, prelude, that preceded the selection 
But when the selection was done, they pointed at you and said, you're the one we want. I can't remember the exact date. We talk about transformative events in our lives. Some things don't mean as much to other folk as it means to you. But I remember in September of 1982, I sought membership in this organization. I had gone to interest meetings. I had gotten to know some of the members. I had submitted my application in the manner that they said it had to be submitted. Had even been selected after submitting the application to an interview. The interview was unlike any I had ever imagined, but it was an interview. And then came a period of waiting, waiting to see if, in fact, I would be one of the ones they selected. At some point, while I was asleep, someone came and slipped a letter under my dorm room door. When I awakened the next morning, lo and behold, I felt the exhilaration of opening that letter to find out that I had been selected, watch this now, selected to try to become <laughs> a member of the organization. Yeah, there's a process that you got to go through. And oh, what a process. It's a very public process of becoming, at least it was at that time, very public still is, very public process of becoming a member of the organization. But during that time of the process, there was an indoctrination on what you're supposed to do. Now, I'm telling you about the organization that I became a member of, but it could be any organization similarly situated. We all went through basically the same thing. Just, and it didn't matter if it was male or female. Same kind of process, selection for membership. But once you go through the process, of initiation, then things changed. And I started hearing these tones from some of the older members, kind of like in church, you gotta be careful what you do because it's no longer you, now you represent the organization. And where you go, people don't just see you, they see the organization. And if you go out wearing the coat, or the letters, then they're going to refer to you as Andre the Duh, which brings on negativity to our organization. And I learned from this process of being chosen that responsibility comes with it. Some of you may know what I'm talking about, and it doesn't matter if it's a fraternity or a sorority or the Masons. It doesn't matter if it's an honor society. None of that matters. The same process happens in the church. And the reason I want you to know the same process happens 
is because you were chosen. Each one of you. I know you think you got up and walked down the aisle, but I came to tell you this morning, you were chosen. Let me see if I can read it for you from the Bible so you understand the concept that you didn't get up and get yourself saved one day. No, 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 no. This is a process that was, that was initiated before you said, I do. Watch this. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 read thusly, but you are a chosen people. Straight out the gate. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not even a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The reason you were picked, just like those other organizations I referenced, is because you had something valuable to bring to the group. You had something to give. You were of, of value to the one who picked you. If others can't see it in you, what difference does it matter? As long as the one making the selection is able to see the value in you. The, the truth of the matter is today that God selects people for kingdom causes. And most of them are the unlikeliest of characters when you read about them in scripture. And I wonder by the world standards if many of them would ever have been selected for anything. And I'm so glad that God doesn't use the kind of template that's used in Scripture to make selections. Anissa, I'm so glad that to become a king or a leader in our community, God didn't use the template that the Israelites used when they selected their first king, King Saul. Because the Bible says that they selected Saul for the base, ridiculous reason that he looked good riding a horse. That, that, that's scripture. They, they said he looked good astride a horse. And so they selected him. They didn't select him based on his character. They didn't select him based on his intellect. They based him for the ridiculous reason that he looked good on a horse. Now, I came to tell y'all who might never look good sitting on a horse, that's not how God picks people. And I'm so glad. Last week, we talked about transforming your mind. This week, I want to try as I can to make you understand that God chose me. And he chose you. He chose you. Watch this now. In order to understand the significance of what Peter is saying, you've got to understand the context in which he's writing. It's important. When Peter writes this letter, 
he's writing to a group of Christians who are scattered throughout the northern part of the country, Asia Minor. They are Christians, but they are really aliens within the community. They're aliens. They're foreigners in the land. And they're struggling. Some of them are business people. But watch this now, Saul. Some of them are slaves. They have no identity beyond that which the community gives them until they are received this letter from Paul. And Paul lets them know that in this community, whether they respect you, love you, value you or not, God chose you to be the ones to bear his name and to bear witness of who he is. And Paul, Peter is trying to encourage them. I believe somebody here needs some encouragement too. In their faith. Because some people come in church in the morning feeling worthless. Feeling like they don't matter. No one cares. Nobody pays attention to them. There's nothing they have to offer. And I came to tell you, before you step foot in the church, God chose you. He selected you. He decided that you meant something to him and that he had a job for you to do. Well, it's amazing how God gets our attention when he instructs these men to write. Peter, in this scripture, uses a familiar pattern in that God always got to remind us of what he's done for us before he tells us what he's going to do. Oh, yeah. Songwriters still do it to you. You remember the song that said, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, where I first believed. And that's what scripture does all the time. It takes us back and reminds us that God ain't no Johnny come lately, Lord. No, 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 no. God has, has, has history, and his history precedes us such that we'll never know it, but he definitely has had us for a long time. He's not the problem. We're the problem. And the reason he has to remind us is because once we get to being around the Lord long enough and we start doing all right, we get amnesia. We forget how good God has been to us, and so he has to take us back and remind us yeah. And so this is what the scripture says. The scripture says, I want to remind you that you are a chosen people. He, he picked you. Not only are you chosen. Watch this now. This is important. You are royal. You're royalty. Uh, and the saddest thing to me is to see those of us who are in the body of Christ satisfied with commonality. Oh, yeah. Being common. Being average. I used to hear from someone who was wiser than me that being average is just as good as it is bad. Just stuck right in, in the middle. Yeah, anybody who's cheering overseas wouldn't care that much about a D. Oh, yeah, it's just as good as it is bad. Now, I'll tell you, I've had some hard-fought Cs, Tam, in my academic career. I earned that C. 
And I cheered that C like it was an A, because for me, it was an A, but in terms of accomplishment, not so much, because had I taken some of the other things out of the equation of study, I might have been able to do a lot better than I found myself with the end result. Christians are God's very own possession. Yeah, we are. We're God's possession. But if you don't know that, if you don't know who you belong to, if you don't know where you come from or if you've forgotten, then that cre creates problems in how you carry yourself. Yeah, th th they always make these movies, always make these movies about two, two, there are two storylines. It's the prince who wants to be accepted for himself or the princess. And so they take off all their priestly attire and garments and they disavow, disavow that so they can go and live with the common folk and be loved and find love for themselves. Coming to America one and two, that's the storyline of it. I want to be loved for myself. To be loved, to be loved, oh, to be loved. That's, that's what he wants. Yes. That's one storyline. The second storyline is, is simply this. He has lost his memory or, and goes through the process of learning who he is through a series of events, when he regains his memory or her memory and realizes that I am not a chicken, but I'm an eagle. And I've been around here pecking on the ground only to realize that I should be flying in the clouds. By either storyline, there's a problem. Gotta remember or gotta reclaim what you have. Watch this. We are royal priesthood. I don't know if you've ever looked at that terminology, a royal priesthood. And the reason is during the time of Jesus's earthly ministry, royalty and priesthood were distinctly separate. They didn't come together. The priesthood was, in fact, something that was jealously guarded. The Levites were made the priests, and by definition, initially, they were poor because when the division of the tribes came, the, the Levites weren't given a space. They were to be tied into by the rest of the tribe. And so they never were able initially to generate as much wealth as anybody else. They were always, as you would say, standing there waiting on a gift to be made. And that meant that the other folk who were able to amass all of the material resources became Rich and thus the royalty. But here we have a situation where Jesus came in and he combined the two offices. The king is the priest. The savior is also the one who is being able to, the savior is also the one just like the saved. He combines both of them. And so not only are we royalty, we are a priesthood as well. So we are a twice blessed royal priesthood. Uniquely created just 
for the Lord to do his work. Now, let me see if I can make this a little bit better. The priests were a separate group who were designed to do the workings of the temple and to do the bidding of the Lord who they heard from directly. Once a year, one of them would go and get a message from the Lord and pray for the sins of the entire people. You've heard this story before. And that priest waited in line for his time to go in and do it. And when he went in and all his priestly garments, they would tie a rope around him because the place he was going was the most holy place. The most holy place on earth was in the temple, uh, the holy of holies within the temple. Nobody could even go in there but this priest, which is why they had to tie a rope around his waist. And when he got in there, the reason they tied the rope around his waist is because if he died, they couldn't even go in and get his body out. That's how holy the place was considered. And if he died, they'd have to use rope, Tyrone, to pull his body out because to go within the holy of holies would have meant certain death for them. We come from a situation where one man was allowed to go in and pray for the sins of many, watch this now, to a time when every man can go in and pray for himself, doesn't need anybody going in the Holy of Holies for him because you can pray for yourself. Not only can you pray for yourself, it's required you as a royal priest are required to pray for everybody else. That's our mission because we are a royal part of the family, but we're also priests required to pray for other folks. It's significant. It's significant that you understand this. Not only that, we're God's very own possession. Some people believe they're worthless, but you belong to God. You think you're unloved. I came to remind you today that you belong to God. And what kind of God would he be if he didn't provide for his own? Who would want to follow a God that didn't take care of his very own? How could you point the way for other folk to follow him if he's not taking care of you too? You got to be able to show and you ought to know what God has done for you. And you need to be able to tell folk, not only did he choose me, he cares for me. And if you let your mind go back, then you'll remember how good God has been to you. Some of us are so busy trying to sit in that we start taking on the traits of folk around us. We become complainers. We become fussers. Yeah, we become too negative in our approach to life. Yeah, we start not taking care of our family. But God has not started this. Now, he didn't start this just with the New Testament. This is something he always has done. But in Jeremiah, you can read chapter 32, verses 38 through 40, that God was always making provision for his people. He was always promising his people that they were going to be taken care of. Watch this. He said, verse 38, they will be my people and I will be their God. There's no ambiguity in that. He said, I will give them 
singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me, reverence me, and that all will then go well for them, not just them, Tam, and their children after them. He said, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Everlasting means everlasting, right? No end to everlasting. And I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. This is what God said he's going to do for us. One of the most beautiful notions about God reminding us that we are his people is that, watch the simplicity of this now. That means also he is our God. Yeah, we're his people, but you can stand up and say, I always got a resource. Why? Because he is my God. It's a mutual relationship, not just one way. He can call me his, but I can call him mine too. Yeah, and when I don't have anything else in my life, when I can say, I know the Lord is on my side. When everybody else steps out on me, I can say, I know the Lord is on my side. It might not mean anything of every day. You're surrounded by a whole lot, but when it's just you and you alone, you can say, I know the Lord is my God. And that means something. Peter says, Remember when your life was like this? That's what he's saying to them, Karen. Remember, you remember, remember? Sometimes we choose not to remember because it was so hard. But I came to tell you, remembering is what gives you the ability to appreciate. Remembering is what lets you know how good God has, has been to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see that person sitting next to you? They didn't always dress that good. Oh, 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 no, 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 no. They didn't always wear that expensive cologne. No, 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 no. They didn't always sit in church without worrying about the car and whether they had enough gas to make it home. No, 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 no. Sometimes we forget that those situations have happened. They didn't always sit in church comfortable, not worried about whether the tires were going to hold air in it on the way back home. That either somebody in here know what I'm talking about. They didn't always smile like that because they didn't have insurance to go get their teeth fixed. Now they smile at you and they don't know that their smile is a testimony that God has brought me from a mighty long way. No, no, they, they didn't always have that guaranteed money coming in the house every first of the month. Sometimes they had to work two, three, four jobs in order to make ends meet. But now we can sit here and I'm wondering how we sit here sometimes and act like we don't remember how far God has brought us. They didn't always have to take 15 minutes to figure out what they were going to wear to church. Sometimes it was a whole lot quicker than that. You didn't always have a whole drawer full of just socks. So many that you forgot that you remember when you had two, three pounds. You forgot. Yeah. They didn't always have peace in their house. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it was better to come to church than to stay at home. 
Yeah, because if, if I was at home, it's just going to be some junk that's going to jump off. And I, I'd rather go to church. And now they don't mind going home. Why? Because they live long enough for peace to be the predominant thing in the house. And maybe, maybe not because the other person started believing or coming to church. Maybe they just got too old to fuck like that. Whatever the case, God has brought them. Not only has he brought them, he's kept them. He's kept them. And that's a blessing. Yeah, that's a blessing. God says you need to remember because then you'll realize that it wasn't the job I let you have. It wasn't the car I gave you. It wasn't the people you know. It wasn't your education that I allowed you to get. It was me all alone doing everything, keeping you and protecting you. Yeah, you ain't potted me, but you ain't. Yeah, you grumbled about it, but you were fool. You slept on a lumpy mattress, but it was inside the house. You forget these things. You drank a long time, but here you are now, and your liver's still working. Somebody, somebody need to shout and say, yeah, I remember. I abused myself, and yet God has kept me. He got me here right now, despite of what I've done to myself. You need to remember how good God has been to you. Not only does God, through Peter, remind us, God also challenges us. Yeah, he challenges us. He says, live such good lives among the pagans, the non-believers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. And not your good deeds blow you up but your good deeds magnify me. A lot of us tend to receive God's blessings in our lives and we're convinced that they're only for us. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I deserve this. I, I've been working hard all these years and, and uh, you know, everybody deserves some good. Yeah, yeah, so I go get me some and you know, you know I've, been, I've been long suffering on this. I've been on that job a long time and, yeah, I'm going to go get this for me because I, I, yeah, I want it. God don't give us anything just for us. Hear me now. God didn't give you your wife just for you or your husband just for you. There's a reason why your union was brought together. Your union is still supposed to be used for kingdom building purposes. If for nothing else but to have another generation see what a godly couple looks like, that's the purpose of God allowing y'all to come together. Not because y'all take good Instagram pictures. Not because y'all got good Christmas card pictures. That's not why God brings you together. God brings you together for his purposes. Yeah, y'all weren't so cute that he had to keep you together. This is important. We lose sight of what God is doing to and through us. A lot of us. Just forget. Psalm 67 says it like this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. We use that doxology all the time. But there's another part of it that says that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. In other words, God is blessing us, his graciousness to us, still points back to him, not just for our benefit, 
We ask him for his blessings and his grace. And the sole purpose is so that we can make salvation known to everybody. Believe me when I say this now, people are watching. People are always watching. People want to know if what you say you are, you are. People want to know if what you proclaim, you proclaim. They're paying attention even when you don't know they're paying attention. When you put that title out there, yeah, you, you, you know, you know I'm chairman of the water ministry at the church. They pay attention to you. Everybody always got to have a title now. Yeah, ain't a cracker that come through there for the Lord's Supper I don't bring. I mean, people pay attention to what we say. And they want to know if what you pontificate about, you live it. Why? Because they're skeptical. Life has dealt them such a bad blow. Such a bad blow that when they see something that seems too good to be true, the flesh in them makes them doubt. And they want to see if he's the real thing. And the only way they can see if he's the real thing is through you. And when you play games with it, you do more damage than they did to Jesus on the cross. You crucify Jesus again. When you play games with your rep reputation, you play games with it. That's the problem we got. See, there are disadvantages to living a royal lifestyle. Ask Harry and Meghan. Ask them if there's disadvantages to living a royal lifestyle. Because the paparazzi, yeah, Prince Harry, former Prince Harry, and Meghan Markle, a prince married an actress, and they thought the press wasn't going to follow him everywhere they went. And so they have quit the monarchy because they say they're tired of living in a bubble. Well, that ain't new. That's been happening in the church every day. Folk have quit the monarchy because they don't want to live in a bubble. They don't want folk paying attention to what they do after Sunday morning. They don't want us folks to see their Saturday night fever. They, they don't want folks to see that. Why? Because they know the two ends don't meet. And what I'm saying on Sunday, the report on Monday might be different if they go over my, my Saturday night activities or my Tuesday night activities. Peter's addressing a group of believers who are watched all the time. They're living in an idolatrous nation. And they're saying we are tasked with treating everybody right because that's what Jesus required of us. And they were put to the test every day because people mistreated them. And yet they were told they had to turn the other cheek. Yeah, people cheated them. And yet they were told they couldn't take revenge on them. Some of us are struggling with the very things that Jesus Christ told us we had to do. And yet we wear the biggest what would Jesus do t-shirts. And people are paying attention to us. You got to remember at all times, church, you're a royal priesthood. You represent him everywhere you go. You live in a bubble. You are a billboard of blessings everywhere you go.
from top to bottom, the question is, what are you broadcasting when you go out among people? I, I wonder who in your daily life is watching you. I'm not trying to make you paranoid, but I guarantee you somebody that you don't know is watching you every day. And, and it's somebody you work with. It may be somebody you don't even like at work, but they're paying attention to see if you are the one that's the truth teller in your walk. I didn't come to make you feel good today. I came to make you feel uneasy. I want you to know that there's somebody watching you. You need to know that they're paying attention to everything you say, everything you do. And I, I don't even want to show of hands. I'll raise my hand for everybody. And we all fall short. We'd all be embarrassed if the DVD of our yesterday was played. We'd all struggle with that. And all I came to do is tell you today, do better. Represent more. Remember who your father is and who you belong to. Remember who chose you. Remember that he still loves you. And remember the challenge that he's given us that we ought to live like God is our God. We ought to live like he put the blessings that we have around us. And we ought to give glory, not to ourselves, but to him. Because he's the one who's done it. And the last thing he did is he encouraged us. Yeah, he chose us. Well, he reminds us. He reminds us. That's important. He reminds us that he chose us. Not only that, he challenges us. And the last thing he's done is he encourages us. Everybody needs some encouragement. Oh, yeah, you, you, you can't go through life long without somebody coming and encouraging you. Yeah. Amazing thing is, he says, he called us out of the darkness into his wonderful light. I love this. Once you had no identity as a people, and now you are God's people. Look at that now. No identity as a people. Once you receive no mercy, and now we have God's mercy. Yeah, God's mercy is different. One of the most striking examples in the Bible of God's mercy ought to be enough to encourage any man or woman you know. I'm talking about how God can take someone who is an outright hater, a, a murderer, one who designed his life around destroying the Christian faith. God's able to take somebody like that and change their life around so much that they can be used for kingdom building purposes. If I told you about his prior life, you wouldn't like the man they called Saul of Tarsus at all. He was not anybody you want to be around. Even though he was rich, he was well-educated, he was well-placed, he was a man about town. But if you mention the term Christ, or Christians, or disciples, he was set about in his life to kill you. And then one day, this man, while he was on his way to murder Christians, to throw them in jail, he met a man named Jesus. Yeah, Jesus stopped him cold in his tracks. And I always say it, and you think I'm being funny when I say it, but I'm as serious as I've ever been. God stopped him on the Damascus road and Jesus slapped hell out of him because that's what was in him. He was full of hell and he was breathing hell and he was living in hell. 
But then God put his light on them. And if God's light can run the darkness out of Saul of Tarsus, if God's light can run the evil out of Saul of Tarsus, if God's light can make a man like Saul of Tarsus into a new creation, then everybody down here ought to be praying. Lord, help me too. Help me too. Look at what God did. He slapped hell out of him and put a new life in him. Because he put a new life in him, listen, he had to put a new name on him. He no longer fit being Saul of Tarsus because that was an evil somebody. And he became Paul. Paul, you know Paul. The same Paul is the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This Paul is the one who tells us how we ought to live for Christ, how we ought to die for Christ, how we ought to give for Christ. We quote Paul every day of our lives in some manner. We talk about him all the time. I would dare to say that next to Jesus, Paul is probably talked about as much or more than anybody else in Scripture. It's the same man. But God had to change him. And if you've never claimed Jesus Christ as your own Savior, look at Paul. Paul used to be something else. But now he knows, and he reminds us, that we are royal priesthood that we're chosen people, that we've been called out of darkness, see, into the marvelous, marvelous light. Oh, yeah, there is light out there. In fact, I'm sitting up here looking right now at some light bearers. I'm looking at some folk who let it shine through their lives each and every day. Question is, are you ready to allow the change to come into your life? Saul deserved to die. Saul deserved to die. And on that road in Damascus, he had a judgment waiting on him. And the Lord did judge him. He gave him a life sentence. And his life sentence was to work for Jesus until he died. Saul claimed that sentence and gladly served it till his last day on earth. And can I tell you, he told everybody he met about how good God had been to him. Yeah, we're not saved by the good works that we think we're doing, but we are saved to do good works. Some of us get confused by that. The bottom line I came to tell you today is that God can use any of us, but he chose you first. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And because of that, he's redeemed your life. He's called you into his own household. You belong to him. Peter makes it clear. God didn't choose you just for your benefit. It's for his benefit that you've been selected. People are watching you. They're observing you. They're looking at you. I got to tell you this now. You're not going to like me when I tell you. They're just not looking at you on the good day. No, no. No, no. They're looking at you then. But on the worst days of your personal life, they're looking to see if you still claim Jesus as your Savior. They're looking to see if you still are in good stead with the Lord. They're looking to see when they know somebody mistreated you, whether you got forgiveness in your heart. They're looking to see if you're reading the Bible that you throw at them all the time. They're looking to see if you claim God all day, every day, like you say you do. We know that every day ain't no bed of roses. 
but we do know that every day that I'm alive, the rose of Sharon is with us. Whether I'm in that bed of roses or not, the rose of Sharon has a sweet aroma all over my life. Let your life start preaching such a powerful message that the people who are close to you have no option other than to see God all over you. There was a wealthy merchant who was very, very eccentric. And he called himself a perfectionist. And he only wanted the best of everything that life had to give. So naturally, by his standard, he had to drive a Rolls Royce automobile. His friends would tell you that that Rolls Royce was his pride and joy. He took care of it better than he took care of people around him. But one day, after years of perfect service on that Rolls Royce, he's driving along and he hits a very deep pothole. Pothole, pothole was deep enough to break the rear axle on his vehicle. The Englishman was distraught, but he had the car shipped back to Rolls Royce. To his surprise, the car was back in a day with a brand new axle. Not only was it back in one day with a brand new axle, there was no charge on repairing it. Now, of course, this man was never going to leave an outstanding debt like that. And so he contacted the plant and asked them, what in the world is going on? I know I sent my car to you, damaged. It came back, repaired. I didn't get a bill. The person who answered the phone and said, sir, we don't have any record of your car ever being here. We don't know anything about a broken axle on your vehicle. Have a great day. You see, Rolls Royce has such a standard that his cars are so good that they can't tolerate the fact that there's a piece on the vehicle that might ever go wrong. And because that's their standard, before they'll admit that a piece on the car went wrong, they'll just repair it and act like it never happened. In other words, they forget the flaw. I came to tell you today that that's the kind of God we serve. When we do something wrong and we belong to him, he's a perfectionist. And if we just give it to him, he can fix it and forget about it. Act like it never happened. Do you know this kind of God? Do you know him? Do you know that he loves you enough to take all your wrong and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness? Do you know him? He chose you. He picked you. And you belong to him. And all I want to tell you today is act like it. Act like you belong to a God like him. Act like he woke you up this morning. Act like he started you on your way. Tell somebody you didn't get there by yourself. Do it in the good days. Do it in the bad days. Do it in the happy days. And do it in the sad days. Let him know that he's the one who's in charge. And all you're waiting on right now is your next orders because you want to do what he called you to do. Do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know him as your own? Do you know him as your Lord? 
I came today. He inspired me and directed me to extend to you an invitation to become a part of his family. You've never accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior. Today may very well be the day that you select him to be your God. He made the first move. What's your move? What are you going to do? He's waiting. And if by chance you decide that today is the day you make a public profession of your new relationship with him, then you need to find a place that you can grow from. I suggest to you that you try us. The doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now.